millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1, and by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast. Today, I'm joined by Pete. And we're going to be discussing the impact of Sharp on Napoleonic living history. So Sharp was originally a series of books penned by author Bernard Cornwall. And they follow its hero, Richard Sharp, through the Peninsula Wars to Waterloo and, frankly, beyond. Now, back in the 1990s, uh, when I was a wee kid, the books were turned into a, a fabulous TV series, I have to admit. And I remember uh, on the back of that, even as a even as a sort of five, six-year-old child going out into Sutton Park with a few mates and pretending we were Sharp and his chosen men hiding behind trees. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny to look back at now, but it just goes to show you how much of an impact uh, things like TV shows and books can have on, uh, on you growing up. So uh, and needless to say, Sharp's also been a springboard for numerous living history groups uh, popping up over the years, uh, including the 560th, but we will come on to that later. So, Pete, what is your first memory of Sharp? Oh, God, we've got to go, we got to go, got to go into the filing cabinet now, because like yourself, Steve, I, was, uh, I, I remember watching it when it first came out in the 90s um, as a young lad. Um, I think... From my memories of it from the nineties, I can't like pinpoint why we're going like this is that episode. It's that episode it isn't until later life that it it all kind of some reason it all sort of merges into one. Yeah, it, yeah, it was basically how I used to perceive it. It was this it was this bloke who had his little like his his little section of men, and he's all like kind of going on with all these like adventures. Um, you know, he's always got that enemy that he's having to fight. Uh, yeah, it's all sort of dare and do sort of stuff, and the sort of people he meets on the way along. But yeah, it, it, it you know, like, like me, it's one of those things. I'd probably put that into a category of 
being a young lad, being influenced from that is what made me what I am today doing living history. I think it's, you know, I think it's also one of those ones where, well, I said in, uh, met in, well, we're going back many episodes now where I talk about how I got into living history and it, that like, you know, like dad's army and that, um, that is one of those things where I suddenly realized that this event happened for real. Um, and that spurred me to sort of do a little bit of research on the Napoleonic Wars. So, uh, but yeah, that's how I that's how I sort of remember Sharp, and I love it, absolutely love it. But unfortunately, when people like us, when although we love it dearly, when we start doing the research on it, we then find there's a lot of uh, lot not a lot not loads and loads and loads, but there's a, there's a lot of concepts in it that people take for granted. But that's what we're here to talk about today. Well, especially for those like people that will watch it and think Sharp's a documentary. <laughs> And it's just that there's plenty of people uh, who will who will use the sharp boxer as primary source evidence to base their impression on, which is just frank, frankly, completely preposterous to be honest. Uh, and people do it, you know. They say, "Well, actually, I, I saw the Valiant Stormer badge being used in sharp, so uh, that's why we have a VS badge on our sleeve." And it's just like, no, the VS badge was issued at regimental levels to fifty second. It's like, hang on a sec, you know, you can't start using this as primary source evidence. And it is a proper rabbit warren, which we could slip down and never come back from, to be quite honest. There's, I think it kind of boils down to the fact that people will will watch it and get enthralled by it like we have. And it is a fun... It, like The entertainment is 10 out of 10. I love it. I mean, my wife hates it, but I love it. And it's one of those box sets I'll always return to. And only today, uh, my dad returned the box set to me. He's had it for about 12 months. And he said, oh, I actually watched an episode of this last night. He said, I've got just how good it was. And, and it is. It's fantastic. It's like James Bond um, arrives at the Battle of Waterloo. You know, he's kind of like the sort of uh, antithesis of like, you know, femme fatale in that sense, the male version of one. And yes, he has, you know, his love stories entwined into it. He has his you know, daring acts of heroism there as well, taking an eagle from the French. And, you know, fr frankly, it's kind of, you know, you can, you can, it's it's so out there that, yes, you know, anyone like me, yourself or myself would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's not real. It's pretty obvious. But nonetheless, it's a fantastic, fantastic series. And it has, and indeed it did spurn my interest from an early age. I, I didn't even know what the Napoleonic Wars was. You know, this was the days before wikipedia the internet all that kind of stuff back in the mid 90s uh we weren't taught it at school well i wasn't anyway at that point um and it's very much a case of it was like hang on a sec you know i, I said to my dad i said you know shot is it actually real and he said well yeah you know the the actual period of warfare is real you know they use muskets and red coats and then you start getting yourself into a few book, uh, books and you start learning more about it but then it, they stopped airing it in the late 90s and they had a very small comeback in the early 2000s but kind of like slipped off the radar uh, personally for me um, but then I started re-watching it it was on the you know, drama channel as it always is these days but this is back in 2012 2013 and that's when an episode come on it just happened to be I think it's Sharp's company I think it is um, and that's the one where the 560th come into it first of all and that's made me think hang on a sec i'm not really doing anything living history wise at the minute and i thought i wonder if there's loads of groups that do 95th out there but there's not many groups that do 60th so maybe there's a potential opening here <laughs> i thought and that is uh you know, the beginning of the 560th should we say so we started doing some events you know you guys are probably familiar with the story but that's where uh pete first made his tentative steps into coming into the 60th as we we know because we've obviously spoke about on 
previous episodes. But Pete, with the sort of sharp in, in your mind at the moment, what was your kind of angle that you came in at having watched sharp and then joining the 60th? What was your first sort of impressions? Uh, you know, was it very much everything on sharp was completely wrong or elements of it were correct or it was all right for that matter. Um, and then having come to your first event, what was it like seeing other groups? Yeah, the, the, the thing is with sharp is it, it's a weird melting pot. It's like it, 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 some, in some instances it will go from like one extreme to another. And like there'll be there's stuff in it that is, you know, you could say is truthful and then there's other stuff in it where it's just like, that's just a lot of old rubbish, really. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think when I, so like when, um, so yeah, when I joined the 60th, it was, um, I, I I had the basic, I had basic knowledge. I, I had looked into it, but I'd not looked into like the soldier's way of life and things like that. Um, I sort of looked at it on a kind of more of a broader sort of, spectrum so to speak um and odds and sods of soldier life i, I hadn't di- dived into it like i will do when i became a member of the 60th and um so yeah so then like you do see some similarities with sharp like for the research um like with the sick like particularly with the 60th um there's an officer uh i can't remember his name now uh, i think he was in um a scottish regiment and he wrote a letter to someone, or it was a diary entry, and he actually mentions the fifth sixtieth, and he mentions that the jackets are that warm that it's all covered in uh, patchwork. Um, some of them are wearing like espadrilles, or they're barefooted. Um, like the trousers, they're just simple peasant trousers. So their lich- their uniform is pretty much non-existent. So those of them that are wearing their regimental caps or shakos, as they call them in sharp, that's one of the inaccuracies, where they all call them shakos, they're not the regimental caps. Um, those of them that still have their regimental caps, they're literally just crushed to bits. Um, it's just a bare remnants of what a cap should look like. Or they're wearing like local caps or woolly hats. And also, so they literally look an absolute ragtag bunch. But this officer says is that they're, um, their leather equipment is absolutely spotless and so are their rifles and they're in excellent spirits and that to me is almost like that so you are back to Sharp's company when Fredrickson uh, turns up with his company of uh, riflemen and Sharp turns around to him and says uh, your men are an absolute disgrace um, Fredrickson just turns around and says men are dirty but rifles are clean and that's something I, you know, I, they sort of arc back to that, you know, to the sharp things, like going back to when that officer himself on during the Peninsula War uh, wrote that extract. It's like, wow, that's that's something they they did get right from that. Indeed, there's some there's some fantastic um, parts of the sharp series, just such as that. Man, a dirty rifles are clean. That are in- incredibly accurate in that sense, and I, I do like the fact that they show um, soldiers not necessarily as chocolate box sort of parade ground soldiers, but they show them actually as, as fighting hardworking soldiers. It did lead me down the whole rabbit warren of looking at uniforms and, and how often uniforms were issued and how they were made and the authenticity of it. Because when I mean, I'll use the 60th as, a, as an analogy again, because it's just um, very appropriate. The, the soldier's uh, jacket, um, that we we first used for 60th was a kind of an off the peg one really. It was one that a company was selling, 
and it was uh, fairly easy to get hold of. So I ordered it. And that was essentially a carbon copy of the one from Sharp. Now, having gone to places like the uh, the National Archives, uh, countless period tailors that are still uh, around now who were originally around in the Polonic era, and, and leaning on people like Ben Townsend for research and uh, Sean Phillips, I went and viewed originally ta- original tailors' books and went through uh, clothing board notes, and it really took me down a kind of a long, long road, which I'm still going down now, and I haven't really got to the end of it, where I look at, you know, a uniform was issued to every soldier every every Christmas day. That was the annual clothing day. So you think, okay, even if they're on campaign, yeah, they're getting a lot of use, but they're getting new regimental caps every couple of years, but they're getting a new uniform every year. Um, and then you start looking at construction of them as well. Now, the, the wardrobe and uniform on Shah is very, very apparent to us now that is 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 kind of pie in the sky, for want of a better expression. It's very uh, typical low budget. I mean, the the budget for Sharp is wasn't huge anyway, but I think they did a good job with it. Don't get me wrong, but it's little little tweaks like things like the cuffs on the rifles, jackets, the point not being on the seam, the uh, high standing collar, the way that it's constructed. And that's what led me on to actually picking up a needle and thread. Uh, my wife taught me how to sew and, you know, kind of going and making these rifles jackets. And that that's what pushed me on to to try and strive for more and more authenticity. So I used Sharp unashamedly as a, as a grounding um, and basis to sort of strike forth from. But then it sent me on this kind of, uh, you know, kind of down this long road, like I mentioned earlier, it's very... Yeah, it's one I still haven't reached the end of, but it still excites me every time I find something new or I look at something in a in a new light. It's it is incredibly um, exciting to that degree. But you will see groups who've been, who have been around since before we set the sixty foot um, back, like you know, twenty twelve. I went and visited a few groups, and they're still around now, and they have just stood still in terms of research, and they're like, well, you know, this is this is the uniform we've used for the past ten years, so it must be right. And it's like, okay, well. What what did you base that on? And I said, oh well, the the guy who was in our group was uh you know originally on sharp, and he was uh you know an armorer, or he was in charge of this, and he he made the uh, the calls about what certain pieces of uniform and cap should be worn, and what's right and what's wrong. And it's like, well, he didn't really know that much to start with, to be honest. Um, so you know you you have to it's a constantly moving forward thing. It always evolves, doesn't revolve in that sense. But we both know certain groups who are of that ilk. Don't repeat. We do indeed, and yeah, some of them. It's uh, it, they might as well be the Sharp Appreciation Society, <laughs> like the way they dress themselves up and that. You're like, well, you you're literally looking like trying to make yourself look like Sharp and his chosen men. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's quite sad that I think people will go down the into the realms of reenacting uh, Sharp and you know doing little skits or something from that than actually doing living history, and it's really sad because when you you know, don't get me wrong. It's it's a great way of um, capturing people's imagination and, and their interest, and, and saying, well, you know, if you like sharp, then why not come and do an event as a rifleman? It's really really good fun. And that, needless to say, I'm sure that's how at least seventy five percent of people joined our group, joining the sixtieth, uh, myself included. Uh, that's what you know, sort of captured their interest. But then it sets you on this trajectory of you know constantly trying to to evolve and, and you know be better and get a better understanding and read you know uh, original uh, sort of books and uh, and sort of uh, you know pamphlets that people have written about their experiences and you can learn so much from it but 
and I'll keep coming back to it. The entertainment value of of Sharp as a as an entertainment box set series is is amazing, and I'm going to have to go and start watching it again from Sharp's rifles. But it's worthwhile saying, Pete, and I think that you might be best placed to tackle this, having uh, listened to many audio books of Sharp lately. And you've even made me listen to a couple as well, which uh, which has been great because I've never really read the books before. But the books are somewhat different to the series, aren't they? There's a there is a long series of books like going back to when Sharp was in India um, and going all the way spanning from basically like the late 1700s all the way up to 1820. Uh, the books do. Um, so the dramatization of it only spans a very short width of it um but yeah the like any like any book the book gives more to what's dramatized because obviously when they're dramatizing it you got that like poetic license they've got to use or because it's um being acted and not written if you know what i mean the you can put a lot into one scene that doesn't need to be done like it is in the book um but then there's that, that, that but then there's inaccuracies from the series to the books like characters so like the chosen men the chosen men don't even exist um the chosen men are a thing that's been made made up by the series granted some of the characters um are in it um so like you got sergeant harper or the who was rifleman harper in sharps rifles who becomes sergeant harper hagman is in it um, but he's not a cho- but he's he's not a chosen man, he's just a normal rifleman. Um Tongue, he's in it. Uh Cooper, he appears in it. Uh I think Cooper actually dies in rifles, if I remember off the top of my head. But in the book series, he's actually in charge of a detachment of rifles. So it's not like these like six guys who are all chosen men, because that's the other misconception Sharp has, is that they say like Chosen man, what's the where was it? Uh, where's the white cord of courage because he's the best rifleman, he's got the best aim shot, so he's part of this little elite group called the chosen men. No, cho- a chosen man joining the Ponyonic War is what we'd perceive today as being a Lance Corporal. Um, a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So that is what a chosen man is basically. Um, again, that's just a sharpism that's led people down these different avenues. But anyway, so he's in charge of these six men. But in the books, he's actually got about 15 or 20 men under his command. of the. So this detachment of riflemen is actually a lot larger. 
Um, again, uh, with other characters, there's there's characters that are that are either killed off in the series and they last a lot longer, um, or they're killed off in other ways. So you know, there's quite because the one that was one thing that amazed that sort of surprised me in some of the books when I'd been listening to them. It's like, hang on a minute, you died, or we just never saw you again, but you're here in this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's. Um, it, it, yeah, it's one of the it, it, so not only so yeah, yeah so with the series there's inaccuracies sort of his, historically like, like we've already mentioned with Kit um, and other things like that but there's also the inaccuracies from the books as well and and sometimes like with some of the uh, some of the books and the way some of the stuff was actually done in the books was actually a lot better than it was perceived on screen like the situation how the situation of certain things happened like um, Sharp's regiment for instance. So in Sharp's regiment, they uh, so Sharp is walking back from seeing his mate Maggie. Uh, he's walking drunk down this rookery, and Harper just comes out the shadows um, and gives him a pistol. Says, "Look, you'll be we're being followed." It's like, "Well, where did you come from for a start off? When like you was, you know, what were you doing? Just stood outside the uh, inn all night." Um, but it was, and then they shoot the two blokes, bang, bang, done. Oh, they're wearing South Essex uniforms. Right. Tell tell everybody that this is uh, Sergeant Harper and this is Major, and this is uh, Major Sharp. Tell them we're dead, throw, us and throw them in the river, and then we'll go off and try and find one of these recruiting parties. But the actual way it actually happens is actually, I think, a lot better, where Sharp, he is walking down this rookery. He is being followed by two blokes. He's actually caught up by by one of the girls that works for Maggie. Because so Maggie, she runs this in, and she's one of the girls that works for Maggie. She runs up and says, "Look, you're being followed. Here's a coaching pistol." Um, so they get into a corner out the way. They come round. Coaching pistol goes off, and then he draws his sword and go and sort of lunges into the other bloke and pretty much <laughs> like decapitate almost deca- uh, decapitates him uh, so but the way that was done you know it was a lot better um but that's the other thing with the books as well is like you see gaps like weird gaps in the series i don't know if you've noticed this steve where there's bizarre gaps that happen you know you think you sit there and you think to yourself well how, how have they got there? How have they, how does that, how has that happened? But then in the books, you actually understand why certain things happen a certain way as well. So yes, yeah, uh, there's this, that great poetic license when it's uh, put onto screen, isn't it? Yes, indeed. And, and there's, there is a few inaccuracies and one, which always um, makes me go, Oh, inside is, is the bite, but uh, spit, poor tap and all that nonsense. You just think, Oh, you know, the amount of times that people have come up and gone, oh, make sure you bite the ball off the cartridge and then spit it down the barrel. And it's like, no, it's like basic research tells you that that never, ever happened. If you did do that, then you're holding the cartridge the wrong way around. It's as simple as that. And why would you want to put your mouth over a barrel that's full of gunpowder? And after a few shots, it's going to be boiling hot. It makes no sense. It doesn't fulfill any purpose whatsoever. And to a degree, tap loading as well. They missed such a huge... Um, story of the rifle in that so original tap loading is actually with a wooden mallet which every uh foal leader carried and that was to hammer the ramrod down uh to to seat the ball because the thing with the rifle without going into too much boring detail is if you want a good solid shot is of course you wrap that ball up in a piece of patch or leather and you force it down the barrel as hard as you can because when you fire it 
it grips uh, the grooves better and it also stops all the gases um, escaping around through the rifle grooves. So you get a much better shot. Whereas if you're just going to tap it and you're not going to seat it properly, you're going to get a very inaccurate shot. It, yep, fair enough. It's one way you, you can do it, but it's just not a great way to uh, to fire at all. But there is many other things which I'm sure we could you know, sort of uh, yeah, grasp and uh, sort of wrestle with for the rest of the episode. But what I'd love to know from you, Pete, is do you think, in your opinion, do you think that uh, or believe that uh, Sharp as a series, whether it be books or you know as a TV series, do you think it's had a, a positive or a negative impact overall on living history? Yeah, the I think it's had it, it's actually quite positive because um, end of the day, the books are historical fiction. The bloke wasn't real. The regiment, well, obviously, the ninety fifth rifles is real, but when he gets attached to the South Essex, the South Essex didn't exist. So, so you know, it's one of those prime examples of you know he's 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 in this fictional regiment. So he's in this fictional regiment. He can go anywhere at any time at any place. So from that degree, it don't that doesn't matter, you know. And the the, the stories being historical fiction, it, it does have the historical accuracies in there. So like I think what I found with uh, Bernard Cornwall is he, he is actually quite good at sort of describing like soldiers' way at, like day to day ways of life. He'll he'll now and again put those little details in, which are really cool, uh, which are sometimes echoed in the series as well. But as a whole, absolutely brilliant. Um, but what it does, what I find it does do, it will give you that first to learn more and to dive more into it. But what I will say is if you've watched it and you, you know, you're an absolute fanatic of it, just be prepared to be um shocked in some ways. In what I mean by is when you do dive into that research. Uh, don't be disheartened what you saw on screen or read in the books because you know it's they are what they are but, but what it has done it's given you that first to learn and to learn more about that subject so i think yeah it has it's, it's had a positive impact and let's be honest steve if if it weren't for the sharp books then the sharp series we would have never met indeed it's uh, quite a scary thought really but i, I would concur with your sentiment and, and agree and say it's definitely had overall, you know, positive impact on on living history. It's brought loads of people into the hobby. It's got loads of people interested in that period of history as well, and taught them things that they didn't know. Some people, you know, if you went out on the street now, probably four, maybe even five out of ten people probably being kind couldn't even tell you when the Battle of Waterloo Waterloo was, or even what it was, uh, which is quite sad. But I'm sure that Sharp has played it, it, its role in the past couple of generations. Um, you know, ours being one of them, of course, growing up with it. Uh, where it's opened our eyes and we've learned about things like the Battle of Waterloo. We've understood, you know, the Peninsula War and kind of what it might well have been like for those guys and, you know, even the girls who were there as well as your know, camp followers and so forth. It's it's an amazing, rich tapestry of history. It's, it's one of my favourite periods of history. I, I love it. I always go back to it. It's uh, it's one of those periods that it's before, it's one of the last real um, you know, sort of wars that the British were involved in before photography was invented. And I always think, you know, what if you had a camera and you were, you know, in the peninsula at the time, your kind of memory and your imagination always runs, um, you know, with excitement. But that being said, Bernard Cornwall's done a fantastic job with the books. They are well, bestsellers, you know, they are absolutely cracking books. The series is wonderful. It's pretty much always on on drama. If you ever, if you haven't seen it, go and buy the box set. It's worth every penny. It's fantastic. But just as we've said, be warned, uh, the author does 
run fast and loose loose with the truth sometimes. So Pete, we'll kind of have a bit of a sort of quick fire round now, but let's let's hear your um I would say favorite or your sort of favorite inaccuracies, let's say, of of Sharp uh, on TV, of course. Go for it. My first one is three rounds a minute in any weather. That that's one that really grips me. Um three rounds a minute. Not a problem. The British soldier at the time, he was trying to fire three rounds a minute. Um, but have you ever tr- yeah, it's, have you ever tried firing a musket in the rain or when the lock's wet? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like yeah, the ability to fire three rounds a minute. Yeah, that you know that is a good soldier. But there's other conditions that could stop you from doing that. So it's, you couldn't, you can't say do that in any weather because you physically, you physically can't because we've we've done it, haven't we, Stephen? Yeah, with a rifle, it's it's not what a rifle was built for. You wouldn't you wouldn't fire shot after shot. I mean, line infantry, yeah, you could be getting off three rounds a minute if they were well drilled. Of course, in any weather, not really. But a rifle's not designed for for speed. It's designed for accuracy. But they they're good they're good in accuracies. I've got a couple I'm going to throw into the mix, and this was quite tough narrowing these down. I'll be honest, but these are the three that I sort of wrestle with, and I thought, right, we'll go with them. So. Every time I hear, and I can't even say it, Shaco, it, it always makes me go, oh, like that. Because it's, it's one of those things, the Shaco at the time was where the uh, sort of top of it was wider than the base. And that's what the French wore. The French wore Shacos. We wore regimental caps and didn't adopt a Shaco as it was until uh, after the Battle of Waterloo, so late 1815, uh, 1816. The second I've already mentioned, but that's the bite, poor spit tap. That irritates me every time because... If anyone's ever watched it, I've got an interest. They'll then think that's how a musket's loading. And it's just, oh, no. But the one that always annoys me every time I see it, I'm like, oh, having read all the original drill manuals, it does wind me up. Is this whole rifle's quick time where they'll, they'll run for a bit and then walk for a bit and then run for a bit. And it's like, oh, it's, that is just complete pie in the sky for that period. It's just, it wasn't ever in any drill manual. It is really, really frustrating. Um, so my other one is their drill. It's like the drill. It's like I know they're using like foreign extras and things like that, but it's like you watch them marching and, <laughs> and like just doing their drill in general. And it's like no, it's like oh, this is horrendous because like you don't see them marching slow time or doing the mar- like quick time. So like, they do a lot of quick time, but it's just oh, the yeah, the drill is just shocking, absolutely shocking. Yeah, every time I see them the marching and they're, they're swinging their arms, which is obviously what they do in uh, whatever military they're in or what they were told to do as extras. It's like, no, the Napoleonic soldier is all based on Prussian drill. It was very slow and methodical, uh, pro- proper British line drill was. And yeah, you, your hands or your, your palms, I should say, will be clamped against your uh, your thighs um, when you, whenever you move. But what, what's your third inaccuracy, Pete? I think it'd be the wor- words of commands, I think. In um, how word so the word lot of words and commands are quite modern in how they're saying it. Um, so that that's probably one thing that'll get me. I reckon. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. The the only bit of drill I can see which is actually well, remember which is actually uh, fairly authentic was uh, where Sharp takes command of the Prince of Wales. Uh, volunteers at the end of Waterloo, and he says, "You know, right shoulders forward." I was like, "Ah, oh, that's actually the proper drill command that is, rather yeah. than like a left wheel." <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so favorite character. Then you can make this as obscure as you want. Uh, my favorite character is Fredrickson because um, he's he's brilliant. He's brilliant in the books, 
Um, he's actually a lot more involved in the book. So like when you've got the episodes where you do see Fredrickson, he's sort of there, he says a few lines, but then in the books, he actually has a lot more input in it. And um, yeah, and and also on screen, he's very much how he is on screen as he is in the books. So the actor who portrayed him must have read a couple of the books to uh, get an idea what he was all about because uh, he he got Fredrickson down to an absolute T. But what about yours, Steve? Do you know, I was going to say Fredrickson as well. And I was like, no, as soon as you said it, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to come up with something really quick. But I thought you were going to say it was Liz Hurley was your favourite character uh, at first. But yeah, Fredrickson is is an absolute legend, such a well-written character and, and well-played as well, I have to admit. But I'm going to have to choose my second favourite next. I can't have the sort of same as yours because that would be extremely boring for everyone listening at home. I'd, I'd probably go along the lines of saying Harper because I don't want to say Sharp because that's kind of almost too easy. But yeah. he's he very much sets Sharp up as the, the character that he becomes. Uh, in, in Sharp's rifles, of course, Harper's the main man. He's the head honcho of the pack of you know riflemen. And Sharp comes in and they have to have a bit of a scrap and they naturally sort out the pe- pecking order. But then from that point on, Harper is like that trust, trusty, solid um, you know, man stood at Sharp's side and he's you know, kind of really pulling the strings to a degree and keeping the guys in order. And Sharp certainly won't be able to achieve what he did without someone like Harper next to him. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll probably have Harper as my second best as well. Because also, like Fredrickson, um, he is just like he is in the book, size, stature, and the way he goes about himself. So he, he, another carbon copy of the book. Uh, so yeah, Harper, brilliant choice, Steve, brilliant choice. But just imagine though, Steve, if they got the same cast but made that today. Just just imagine um, how that would just be kicked out of the water with today's technology, with computerization and things like that. Oh, now, now we're talking. I'm glad I'm sat down. Um, oh, that would be just be splendid. I mean, it's it's very um, very romantic. The fact that it was made in the '90s, the way it was, it is kind of of its era. But to go to have your, your sort of mind's eye running away um, with it being made nowadays, oh, that would be uh, with the budget they could have and the amount of extras and the expertise and the knowledge of people as well that would come into play. God, that would be, uh, oh, yeah, that's a rather rather nice uh, sort of uh, point to end that on, I, I think. But uh, hmm. what do you think about that then, Pete? Would you like to get involved if they did a rerun of Sharp? I wouldn't have to be asked twice, mate. Wouldn't have to be <laughs> asked twice at all. I'll be there like a rat up a drain pipe. <laughs> and I'm sure you would as well, uh, naturally, naturally, of course. Well, that brings uh, this episode to, as Pete always says, uh, quite poignantly, a very nice rounded uh, close. So hope you folks have enjoyed it. Uh, something a little bit different for this podcast. We do do the odd reviews and so forth, but it's a subject which many people have brought up and it's one um, I would say we feel quite passionately about as well because, of course, it's what brought us into Napoleonic living history and uh, it helped shape us to be the living historians we are now, uh, predominantly in the first and second world war sort of eras of course if you want to uh, become a member of living history uk you can join our patreon via the link in the bio and if you want to support the podcast just send us a paypal donation uh, at the very least it'd be great if you guys could leave us a review and help the podcast grow uh, you can do that on any of the platforms that you're listening on um, but until next time thanks for listening and keep history alive if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations 
help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.